Welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Dave Glazer, CEO of Dwala. Dwala is a digital payment solution offering third parties the ability to provide payment processing in a streamlined, unified way. And with that, here's my interview with David. Dave, thanks for your time today. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So Dave Glasser of Dwala. Tell us about Dwala. Yeah, Dwala is, uh, is the leader in the United States for B2B enterprises processing account-to-account -account payments. There's a lot to unpack there, and I'm sure we will. So that's incredibly simple, an explanation, and it's going to be a lot of questions about how that is the case, both in terms of the B2B payments and the challenges there, but also about how you're the leader there. But anyway, before we go there, tell me about the journey. How did Dwala come to be? Sure. Dwala was started by a founder, a guy named Ben Milne, over a decade ago, and he had the vision of making payments simpler and less expensive for consumers and small businesses, especially. And when I say especially, he really focused on local small businesses and in towns across America. The vision was great, and we got a great start. When it was foundation, what was foundational about the solution that the team built at, the, at that time was that it was banked, it was built on the existing U.S. banking system. So it leveraged the what we call the ACH network in the U.S., mm -hmm. where local banks could be tied together via an API or application programming interface, which is you know, a dozen years ago, it was relatively new to the banking community in the U.S. It had turned out. We were used to paying for credit cards or cash, but not really, not electronic checks, if you will, at the point of sale or at small businesses. Ben saw that there was a way to bring APIs to the banking system to leverage what was the 50-year-old ACH system in the U.S., but in a new and modern way. Now, over the years, we've changed course and pivoted a little bit, leveraging our strengths and finding where our fit was best for, for significant growth. We didn't win in the space of providing payments for consumers and small businesses, companies like PayPal and Venmo, we might argue, and, and even Cash App are winning in that space. Huh. But Dwala found its area of focus in developing that API for the banking network and offering it to uh, innovative financial technology businesses that are inventing new platforms to disrupt industries. And then also bringing that the same solution architecture and the same solution benefits to existing business that are digitally disrupting or digitally transforming themselves. Excellent. All right. Uh, a couple of things there. So you go way back to the fact that back to the point where it was just the normal processing systems that existed. And instead of waiting for everybody to evolve APIs, you said, you know what, this is the direction it's going. We're going to, we're going to help develop that and basically start just giving it away effectively or accessible. Yeah, that's right. We could be very low priced access to the system. Of course, the ACH system was very low priced at the time as well. So it was a, a instead of merchants paying 3% to process cards uh, or waiting many days to process paper checks or hand, having to handle cash, we could basically make the banking system seem instant and the payment method seem instant and uh, it would cost very little, just a few cents. I appreciate the term seem being used in there. It's, unfortunately, the banking systems aren't instant, but there are players like you who can make it seem instant to, to the rest of us. So it's <laughs> let's not get into the difficulties of that space. Okay, all right. Talk to me about the original. So the, basically, the original pitch was pretty straightforward. I think this was, you guys were early to that space, right? So it was a novel approach, right? Talk to me about the, the friction in terms of the, the evolution. You had to make that pivot to the newer age of APIs and everything else that was going on. 
was that in, in large part due to disruptive players in the space or was that something you saw coming along the way? I think at the time it was due to disruptive players. The company was looking to grow and scale. PayPal, with their advantages, building the consumer brand that they did on eBay and in an online space, just just grew faster even in the small business point of sale space. And then, of course, Venmo as well. Once PayPal acquired Venmo and started distributing that at their large scale, they just had a bigger scale to operate from because they started, PayPal started in the mid-90s at the dawn of the internet, mid to late 90s at the dawn of the internet, and just really grew. And they they had that acceleration happening. And as they switched to consumer, there was no way for Dwala at its um, entry point to really scale and beat them. But like I said, the the technology that was built at the time was started to be recognized by these fintech innovators that were starting to build platforms, again, not just for point-of-sale retail, but more for online marketplaces and insurance companies and financial advisors, et cetera, at the time. And so that's where the company really started to focus. And then I'd say over the last five years with fintech really taking off and with so much happening during COVID when we needed remote access to funds and things like real estate closings, the idea of account-to-account processing and account-to-account processing over the cloud and in-apps has really taken off in the U.S. And maybe we can talk about it a little bit more. That it's This theme about account-to-account processing is actually a, a global theme that's happening in countries and regions uh-huh. around the world. And it's ha- it's, but it's interesting that it's happened in the U.S. at a slightly different pace and scale. Yeah, I'll come back to the U.S. in a second, but I, I want to touch on something a little bit First, the consumer, the contrast to consumer enterprise space, I got to think, again, very different because you're winning every battle one large company at a time versus consumers by consumer by consumer, right? Unless, don't get me wrong, you go to pay, you go to a checkout, you're using whatever the heck is there, right? But you want to try to, I think people forget that it took things like Beanie Babies for PayPal to take off. Right, that's the reality of it. It was truly a consumer payment processing, just like Venmo was a consumer-driven payment processing thing. I kind of think that the other piece of this has to be that, especially looking at B two B, I think the fraud burden has got to be not quite as intense. Is that a fair statement to make? Yeah, it's a different level of intensity when when a payments provider is providing services directly to consumers. It is very, there, there is a lot of responsibility for that payments provider. Even if you think of card issuing, the card issuers, which are mostly the banks in the United States and around the country, oh. they have mass amounts of people that deal with those consumers. They, they take applications from consumers. They handle disputes from the consumers. They handle fraud with merchants and consumers. So anyone issuing a payment method to a consumer, whether it's a card or an account to account, bank account, Based solution, there is a high bar of customer service from the from all of those perspectives, including from. Now, with the pivot that Dwala made five, six years ago, right? Our responsibility towards making sure the system is safe from fraud is still exists, but our responsibility is primary, primarily as a B2B provider. So we're we now sell and service businesses that are interfacing and servicing with those millions of consumers that are in their networks. Our responsibility is a little bit less in that we're a B2B provider today as a yeah. as opposed to a B2C. 
you're more the pipes uh, in the background versus the front end. Is this real or not? I get it, the validation. So that's what I meant by the intensity is a little bit different. Okay, let's go back to the statement you made about how things are happening in the US. Now, I'm going to make a statement about, I did a series on open banking a while back. And frankly, I'll, I'll just make a statement on my observations. I find that the US versus European models are like diametrically opposed, right? Uh, you have a regulated top-down governance of how this is going to work versus, as usual, the US free market, let's figure this out and break stuff model. I think, is that a fair assessment? And if you so, and if so, like, how do you think that's impacted you where you are basically to, to your benefit or detriment? I think on the surface, you're absolutely right. That's what we're seeing happening around the world. And Europe is a great example where regulators stepped in, saw an opportunity to, re- to level a playing field that was seen to be dominating being dominated by the card brands. Merchants and consumers were paying higher and higher fees, and there weren't good alternatives, even though there are dozens and dozens of banks across Europe and in the countries that make up Europe and even the UK. So what the regulators did there that said that, hey, we've got got this wide assortment of countries (laughs) that make up the EU and, and even partners of the EU, Let's create a standard by which merchants can interface with that banking system and take advantage of lower costs, lower fees, maybe lower prices. So they created a set of standards through regulation that made it very fast and, and that I should say that allowed, allowed innovators a faster track to access those rails because they created it from scratch. Now, in the U.S., you're right, it's been different. It hasn't been a a regulated model. It's been an innovative model where in the U.S., the same challenges have existed. Costs are high. Card brands, the the duopoly of the card brands have, have really kept other competitors out. However, we've had this open banking system in the U.S., as I mentioned earlier, called the ACH system. It's a system interconnected banks, almost 10,000 banks and community banks and credit unions that are interconnected via a large network. The challenge in the U.S., though, is that network was 50 years old and that it was a file-based system. So we didn't have the same access. We as innovators didn't have the same access to that those interfaces in the U.S. Now, the regulators didn't say, hey, we're going to create a new API and rules by which we can use that in the cloud or use the ACH network via APIs. So that's where the differences are today. It's like the driving forces are very similar to why account-to-account payments are becoming important and why open banking themes are important in both countries or regions. But the drivers that are bringing us to probably what will be a similar point have been a little bit different. But we're, And we're sure. catching up fast, I should say. And another kind of almost uniquely American experience there in that regard, because let's face it, ACH when it was conceived of and implemented, it was never foreseen as like an open banking protocol. That term didn't even exist, right? It was, let's just make this work so that we can actually have this like this money change hands. And I think the key thing is the level of competition and openness in the U.S., basically, for lack of a better term, made it an open protocol, right? Like effective, like not, a, not fully, but in practice, somewhat of an open protocol, whereas other jurisdictions... When I live in large players and who basically control them, who have regulatory capture, have largely used it as a, have been gatekeepers. Have effectively been gatekeepers, preventing the startups and other companies from getting into that system and being a real bottleneck. Again, uniquely, and I hope you appreciate it, uniquely exper- almost American experience in that it was never intended for that, but the competition angle really kept it open and, and set the groundwork for this. Yeah, you're right. As we started to in the U.S., as we started to make money more digital, even though I guess we didn't think of it as digital money in the 
50s and 60s when the ACH network was dreamed up. We realized that I could write a, I, I might need to write a check. I might be, I was, I'm from Pennsylvania. I might need to write a check uh, from my Pennsylvania bank to somebody that lives in California or South Carolina. That check needed to be exchanged between two different banks, but in the same country, they were all sponsored by using dollars, the dominate denomination and sponsored by the Federal Reserve Bank and the U.S. Treasury. So there needed to be a way for us to send what was initially almost like the initial credit card, right? Because when we write a check, it's like we're extended credit until that money actually moves three to five or more days once the check is sent and cashed and the money moves. So yeah, that was a way to more easily do that. It's just in, at the beginning to allow banks to exchange money and then allow businesses to do large scale business to business transactions. And it's just continually innovated. It started with more mainframe to mainframe connectivity between big banks and big businesses. And now we've democratized it as technology is, has allowed us to. And now we're leveraging the internet and cloud-based systems and modern apps on our cell phones. And we ex fully expect to be able to exchange money uh, in lots of different ways. And why wouldn't we exchange it as easily with our bank accounts as we do with now credit cards or even cash? Absolutely. All right. That's where you've been. That's where you are. Talk to me about where you're going. Where do you think open banking is going or just these initiatives are going? And where do you, how do you think you're going to evolve along with it? Yeah, so we see these themes accelerating, if anything, whether it's in the U.S., or certainly in the U.S., and that, and I should say that's Dwala's focus. Our focus is bringing the best accounts account solutions and open banking slash embedded finance solutions to businesses, large and small, in the U.S. Now, at some point, we'll extend beyond the U.S., but there's so much opportunity in the U.S. right now for businesses to take advantage uh, of these solutions. That is definitely our focus right now. And so what does that mean exactly? What that means is, as I as mentioned, right? So we're seeing more and more businesses digitally transforming. So we talk about some of these businesses that are 20, 30, 40 years old. They're still using the, that file-based ACH system. Mm -hmm. We see a tremendous opportunity as those businesses start to digitally transform their systems and their people and their processes and move off those older systems to the new modern system, the app-based, the cloud-based systems. So Dwala wants to be there provide, to provide those account-to-account-based solutions for all the reasons we've already described. It's lower cost, it's fast, mm -hmm. it, uh, it's competitive and, and uh, more ubiquitous than even uh, the card, card brands. Yeah, I think it's also, in a lot of ways, it's funny. So incumbent businesses tend to have to follow consumer expectation over time. Uh, and what I mean by that is that, yes, anyone, how long should this take? It's like, why does this take any time at all? I, I don't get it. It should literally be like, I hit a button, you say yes, and it's there, right? And there there are some challenges to that. But a counterpoint to that, and I've seen this said and heard many times, is that unfortunately for a lot of these smaller size businesses as well, or at least banks that are processing this stuff, the fees they charge for a lot of the ACH work have become a profit center in some degree, right? So you have some, you have this push-pull, right? There's efficiencies that they can gain out of this that would definitely be to their benefit and expand their business. But you always have that short-term friction of cost, cost potentially losing a revenue source in exchange for a cost savings. Curious, like thoughts on what it takes to break through with that some people, or is it just leaders are going to lead, laggers are going to lag, and you'll get, they'll get through it eventually. Yeah, yeah. Those, those are great points. There's a few sort of themes that maybe I can draw out of, of what you're suggesting there. One, one theme is that banks, who are the maybe the obvious players in the ecosystem that could provide the modern tools to allow innovators to help money move fast and to make it a seamless consumer experience, 
they are exactly the way you described. They are not nimble. They generally aren't innovative. <laughs> they're they're not building the most consumer friendly systems and in innovation innovator friendly systems. I would say, even though some of the large banks they really try and they have money to invest, they're they're still usually behind and their bureaucracies creep in and get in the way of moving fast and creating delightful consumer and and business experiences. So that's where we've seen sort of fintechs step in. These fintechs that are financial technology platforms that can move faster and create these overlays to the banking infrastructure. We were very closely with a number of banks. In essence, we connect all 10,000 plus banks in the US, but we work with a handful very closely to, to tie all that together. And, ten, and that t- also tends to be our one of our biggest competitors is those banks. They're trying, to, they're trying to compete in that space. But another theme that you point out is what is the real, what are the real motivators by the banks? And what I've learned in my time in this space over the last three to five years, really focused on open banking in the US, is that banks are primarily driven by deposits. That seems to be the number one guiding force for banks, where there's all these things happening in the ecosystem. At the heart of it, they get paid based on deposits and the interest they receive on deposits and uh, the fees that they receive on the on the transactions around those deposits or interests that might be earned from loans that they grant that are based on the ratio of their deposits. So deposits are always at the core for banks and the way they think about things. So when they do add value-added services to their networks, but it's not the primary driver, the primary incentivizing force for bankers. Yeah, it's something that's going to drive it. And it's absolutely right. It's the core business at the end of the day, right? Everything else a bank does basically stems from either deposit taking or getting people into deposit and then selling something else. So it's not surprising. All right. So basically, yeah, that's the bank side of it. Let's talk about the, the business side of it. Are you seeing anything innovative on the on on the other side of it with your with the fintechs you're starting up? Any trends? What are they demanding from you? Do they feel like you've built a you're, you've offered up a slate of APIs that meet their needs? Where are they driving you with the, with their consumer demands or their enterprise demands? That is, yeah. There's two areas. One is another one of these themes that that you've mentioned. One is what we call faster payments. In the U.S., we'll call it we. There are two systems that provide faster payments. There's RTP, real-time payments, and the FedNow system. Another is the concept of these open banking tools. So when I think of embedding financial systems or payment systems inside these fintech apps and platforms, that's what those are the two things that, that our customers, our software developer customers care about. They want to move money fast because everybody just expects that when I say, I'm going to pay you, you're going to get paid. So Fast is important. And then the other theme is the concept of open banking really has three legs to the stool, if you will. So there's three pillars that make up open banking. There's the banks that we've talked a lot about. There's these money mover API processors that we've talked about, like Dwala. And then there's also these, what we'll call data aggregators or open banking facilitators. Companies like Plaid and Finicity on MasterCard and MX and Tink owned by Visa. And, and there's a number of others in the US and around the world. What they're doing is they're providing access to information about bank accounts. So the three players are banks, money movers, and data aggregators. And when these financial technology company software platforms or any business trying to evolve them their, themselves to take advantage of these tools, they have to stitch all those together. They have to work with their bank, they have to work with their money mover, and they have to work with the data aggregator. So we're, what we're focused on is bringing both of these trends together. We want to provide the traditional ACH tools, the new faster payment methods and tools, 
as well as the open banking tools directly from our platform. Through For the first time through an API, Dwala will be the first company that can provide all of those tools. And we're going to announce some, make some major announcements this quarter of 2024, the beginning of 2024, about how we're going to do that. And that's really going to set up the evolution for how we're, we're going to continue to win in this space by being that one-stop shop for all things open banking and embedded finance for B2B companies. Excellent. You heard it here, people. If you're in this space, pay attention for announcements later in Q1 of this year. Excellent. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I asked everybody in a positive note. The first one is, if you had one wish for something to change in your company, the industry as a whole, what would it be? Ooh, put me on the spot. Everyone says that. I wish there was a way for us to instantly travel. We've become a remote first business, as many businesses have over the last wow. seven years. And our employees love that. I love that. Even as CEO, I love being remote when I want to be remote or need to be remote. And I realize how important it is for us to be together. When we're physically together, I think we're probably at least 10 times more productive and we build relationships 10 times faster. So if there was a way where we could ignore air travel and be physically together, or at least feel like we're physically together more often, that, that's something that I wish for. Uh, I'll add not pay for an office lease at the same time on top of that. Let's be honest. Yeah, office lease, not pay for the air airfare. Yeah, I've got a micro version of that in my practice. And it's one of these things where we'll still get together for social outings. You know, we should try, we try to get that up to once, once a quarter. We haven't quite got there. But yeah, there's, I think I've heard this many times with other businesses too. It's, I think it's just making people try to realize that we need to focus on the best of what that environment's for, right? Letting people work from home is just productive in general, as we've seen with productivity numbers. But when it comes to team collaboration, in-person is definitely more valuable. So I think being more purposeful when people are in the office is valuable, but it's a struggle. And I agree with you. I wish I could wave magic wand and have today be the day and not to worry about people getting someone else to pick up their kids from school. If that was the case, right? So <laughs> challenge. It's challenging. Second question has been, what's been the biggest challenge in the company to where it is today? I think the biggest challenge has been competition. I think the, the payment space is so competitive. And businesses, especially startup businesses in this space, have to be very efficient, very focused, very driven. You have to hire the best people, the most passionate people. You have to strike the right partnerships. You have to get really lucky about being in the right space at the right time and building those connections. And you can't squander time or any other resources, whether they be you know human or financial. So competition in space is, is fierce. Excellent. And then the last question I have for you is, what keeps you getting out of bed morning? Good, sorry, yeah, let that out. So what keeps on getting, what keeps you getting out of bed every morning to keep on fighting the good fight that is running this business? What drives you? I love it. I, I love the payments industry. I've been in the payments industry for more than almost, what, 25 years. I started with CyberSource at the dawn of the internet. I was working with global enterprises, solving interesting payments, fraud, and security problems. Then we became part of Visa, and I got to help build that business out internationally. Then I had the chance to work with WorldPay in, based in London. Uh, got to see the world with my family. And, and build an amazing business that went public on the London Stock Exchange that was acquired by an even larger payments company that became a global behemoth. Then I got to spend time for a few years at MasterCard, helping emerging markets 
to build innovation through QR platforms and tap on phone systems and payment facilitator systems. And now today at Dwell, I get to bring account to account payments and open banking innovations to the US. I get to work with super smart people. I get to work on these amazing challenges and face that fierce competition every day. And I can't wait to get out of bed every day to do it. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking the time today and keep up the good work. And I guess everybody's going to keep you the ground and listen for, listen up for the announcement later this quarter. Absolutely. Thanks Excellent. a lot. Great to be here. So that was my interview with Dave Glasser, CEO at Dwellum. Hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you found it insightful. So if you're in the market for a B2B payment solution, take a look and again, pay attention to whatever they're going to announce later this quarter. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.